If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses here uh, to start with that's really the climax of one of Paul's early dense arguments. Paul really, really was changed when he was saved. Really. Uh, There couldn't really be a bigger change. He was so pious as a Jew. He was so serious about his religion that when he was saved, really all he wanted was the gospel. He wanted the simplicity of the gospel, and he was willing to fight for it. And he was willing, when he saw it, to put his foot down. And, of course, he was hated as a result of that. Um, It's much easier to simply let things alone, let people do as they want to do. But he really saw that when Jesus saved him, he saved him through the gospel. And the gospel was everything to him. And I agree, it's the gospel that's everything to me. It's the gospel that saved my soul. It's the gospel who showed me my sin. It's the gospel who showed me what God did for us. And it's worth defending. All the rest you can have. You can have everything else that touches religion. You can t- have it all. But the gospel is where I want to place my, my tent. I want to pitch my tent there. So I want to read just two verses. This is uh, chapter 2 of Galatians. And we're going to read verses 19 and 20. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the first verses I ever memorized. I don't know, this was just easier. Most memory verses I, I'll forget. I can't do it. I have a very bad memory. But I remember this uh, that I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ is living in me. What he's doing in chapter 2 of Galatians is he's summarizing what he's telling the Galatians right now by telling them a story of something that happened in Antioch. Now, Antioch, so I have to kind of take you to several places. We have to go into the book of Acts and and basically see what was going on because this story is what Paul is using to teach the Galatians about the gospel. And he's also teaching them about the gospel by showing how easy it is to fall away from the gospel. And so he's basically telling the Galatians about a stove that many, many people have burned their hands on. Or a pit that many, many people have fallen in. I have fallen in this pit. Most of the Christian brothers and sisters that I have have fallen in this pit. And so Paul, seeing it, is uh, very, very clear that as he's teaching the Galatians, he wants them to know what the dangers are, that they can avoid the dangers right away. Okay, you, you really only raise your voice to your, to your young children when it's seriously dangerous. Okay, you stop 
when I say stop, you stop. And you, you'll, I'll yell stop, okay? Uh, parking lots were the scariest thing in my life. Parking lots, like, I don't know why, but you're just like, you stop. And that is what Paul is doing. He's saying there are certain things that are dangerous and so easy to fall into. So many people have fallen that I want to tell you about it. So he's going to tell a story of what happened in Antioch. So I need to tell you about Antioch. Antioch was one of the first places that the Christians ran to when there was the first big persecution in Jerusalem. We saw that in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, you had a, you had a stoning of a, a deacon named Stephen. And after the stoning of Stephen, there was a serious persecution of the Jews. The, or of, by the Jews to the, to, the, uh, to the young Christian church in Jerusalem. And people just went to the four winds. They ran for their lives. And one of the places they ran to was Antioch. Now, Antioch was not in, in Israel. It was in Syria, and it's north of Israel. And it's just a little inset from the Mediterranean Sea. So as the Mediterranean comes straight up and then makes a turn at Turkey, right there in the little armpit, that's where, that's where Syria is, and that's where Antioch was. And it was a very large city. It was a Roman city. There were umpteen different kinds of people there. There, were a big, there was a big Jewish neighborhood there. There were lots and lots of people coming in. There was an intellectual life. There were people that wanted to talk about things. And from the earliest ages, from the earliest days, right after the crucifixion, in Antioch, a little group of believers and um, we'll see that as they as the church in Jerusalem realized that there were little churches all over the place it was a, maybe a surprise to them but Jesus had said you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and all the way throughout the world and as they realized that that's exactly what was happening that there were as people were leaving as people were run out of town, as people were losing their property, as people were forced out of their jobs, and they moved other places, their faith was part of them now. It's not something that you dump. It's something that becomes everything, and there are groups of believers everywhere. So uh, let's look at Acts chapter 11. Let's just do some background. This is a couple verses in, starting in 19. This is Acts eleven nineteen. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of the men uh, uh, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and the great number believed and turned to the Lord." So we're going to see that at the very beginning, a lot of Jews thought that Jesus now as the Messiah was a message for the Jews. It's a message saying the Jewish Messiah that we've been looking for for centuries has come. And so essentially, this is what it is to be a Jew. The, the Jew now follows the Messiah. And so you had Jewish churches that were Christian churches. They were Christ-following churches made up mostly of Jews, and, and the Jews would, would find each other and, and spread the message that the Messiah had been found. But you had 
even at this early, early, early time, you had some from Cyprus and Cyrene. These were islands in the Mediterranean who came to Antioch because it was a big city, and they started preaching to the Greeks. They started preaching to the Gentiles, and they were not just preaching that the Messiah has been found, but that there's a Savior of the world. And it's not just a Jewish thing, but this is everybody is welcome, that God has, has basically allowed a mystery to be unraveled. And that is that it was always his intention to save the world. That the Jewish idea was much too small for God's idea. And so when they preached, there were Greeks that believed. And now you have in Antioch a very beautiful thing. You have got a little diamond of people unified around Jesus. And it's not about their, their race or their history or their politics they, they have fellowship one to another because of Jesus. Now, the church then finds out about it and sends Barnabas. Now, we find Barnabas, everybody's favorite. There's nobody that hates Barnabas. I'm surprised that we don't have Barnabases. Barney. Barney Barnett was one of our choices, but Melissa said, I'm not sure about Barney Barnett, but that was one of my, that was on my short list. But this is continuing. This is verse uh, 22 in the same chapter 11. When tidings of these things came to the ears of the church was in Jerusalem, they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he had came and seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all with that purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added to the, to the Lord. So he went and preached in this little place, and more people got saved the more people and more people. Then departed Barnabas for Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now Barnabas had obviously found Saul before and Saul had gotten saved. And we, we see the pitch patch of Saul's story kind of throughout his letters. And when he was saved on the road to Damascus, he started preaching Jesus. The very one he was trying to destroy, he now is the preacher saying that Jesus, in fact, is the one you're looking for. And Barnabas had said, this church needs teaching. This church needs leadership. Uh, I need help. And he went to find Saul. Okay? And Saul and Paul are the same person. They're, they're, there's an overlap of names there as his name has changed. 26, and when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year... They assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay? Now, there was lots of names for the, for the believers. They were called believers. They were called brothers. They, they, um, they were, there were many things that they identified as followers of, of Christ. But, and I don't believe the Jews called them Christians. The, I've heard many times that this was pejorative, that basically it was an insult, you little Christs. But Christ is the word Messiah, and the Jews would never have said that, you little Messiahs. That, that would have been something that they would have never done. I believe it was the Greeks that saw, said it, and I don't think it was nasty. I believe that they were Christ's ones. They were seen as the ones belonging to Christ. Now, whoever Christ is to people who don't know Christ, they're, you know, it's okay, whatever, if you follow these people, if you follow this teacher, whatever. But they act like Christ. They belong to Christ. And that's what they were called. They were called Christians. And so I want to see that in my mind, this little church, full of problems, 
Can you imagine all of the problems? Okay, you have all of these different kinds of people together, all of these people who shouldn't accept each other. You have people who have been clean in their own minds for a long, long time, and then you have people who did every imaginable uh, dirty thing compared to other people. The, the idol worship and, and all of the filth that, w that went along with worshiping idols, and it was totally common and everybody did it and was the way the world worked. It's like now. It's like now. It's the idea that, that this is not a Christian nation, and, it, and it's long been a not a Christian nation. This is a post-Christian nation. And every imaginal kind of paganism goes on, and there are still people getting saved every day in this culture, out of this culture, out of the slime. And they're coming in together with little Sunday school girls who have been there since they were in diapers, and all together, all bringing their pasts, and don't think that the Sunday school girls haven't brought their sins as well. Just different kinds of sins, all brought together, all bumping into each other, trying to love each other. But they had fellowship. And that is a church. A church is that they had fellowship in Jesus Christ. And that's what it was. They were first called uh, Christians. Now, one of the things they were doing is they were sharing table fellowship. They would come together. They would eat together. They would break bread together. They would remember the Lord's Supper, but they actually had a supper, and they would remember the Lord's death. They would take the bread as they were all having church fellowship, church suppers, all the time. Every time they met, they had a church supper. Now, that might seem funny to you, but, but when I was in seminary, I worked in a Korean church. I taught the English Sunday school uh, in a Korean church, and they had a church supper every week. Big big church supper, what you imagine a church supper to be, it was common in their culture that every time the church got together, they ate. I'm like, that could really catch on here. <laughs> I know people that would right now say, yeah, if somebody else makes it, I'll come. Yeah, I, I think it would go really well. So as long as there's two or three people doing all the work, I think everybody would do it. But in any case, this is what they did in Antioch. They were at one table. Now, one table to me is beautiful. Because it's a picture of what's going to happen in heaven. It's a picture. But it really bothered a lot of people. It bothered a lot of people who didn't grow up as Gentiles. It bothered a lot of people who were Christians, but that had grown up as Jews because they realized that there's a difference. Jews are clean and Gentiles are dirty. They were taught that from the breathing. Racism is something that is taught in the air. It's not something that you're taught in a book. It's something that you pick up everywhere. It's not something that one person told you and you say, oh yeah, I like that philosophy, I'll take on to that. It's something that every person says in the smallest way, in the smallest little thing. And so there was racism here. And it's, it's ugly now, it's ugly then. And it's ugly because this happened among the Christians you had us and them in one congregation, and God doesn't see it as an us and them, okay? Because if all truth be told, when God looks at my sins and looks at someone else's sins, God is equally disgusted. There, there is no difference. So if I appeal to God for mercy, and I don't come with any preconditions, God give me mercy, you tell me how to live. You dictate what's good and wrong and right, what's right. You, you tell me and I will follow you. If you will save my soul, you are my savior. 
I'm not going to say as long as I get to do this and this and this and be this and this and this and decide how I'm going to do. Because believe me, as this world gets worse and worse, there will be very large churches. Don't think that the churches are, are showing that, that God is working in his people. Churches will develop as people decide that they get to do as they please. But God's people follow God. And they will follow him according to God's will, not their own. And little by little, I relinquish my control to God. And it takes everything. It takes all of my strength, all of my faith to say, no, 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 I want it, I want it, I don't want to tell. And you give it. Because that's what happens. God melts you. He melts your heart. These people were sharing one table. But there was a lot of people that had problem with that. A lot of people. How uh, that's just a little bit too much, a little too hard, a little too forceful. That's not, not how we grew up. Not how we grew up. And so then, of course, you have that beautiful thing happening. They're all sharing a table, so something bad happens. Okay? Because we have an enemy, and the enemy is trying to thwart God's purposes, and he does it with us. All right? So you have these, these teachers who came into that church teaching that the Gentiles needed to first be Jews. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to be a Jew first because Jew, Christians are Jews. That's what they taught them. And here's these people that grew up idol worshipers and grew up sacrificing cows on mountaintops. And they didn't know anything about the God of, of Abraham and Isaac. They do nothing. They never went to Torah school. And so this is chapter 15 of Acts, starting in verse 1. Certain men came down which were from Judea and taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, can you imagine what kind of an absolute confusion that would have brought everybody? Where, when, therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. How's that for a nice way of saying it? They blew their tops. Paul had a, had a fit and can you imagine belly bopping people out of his congregation? I'm sure of it. Get, get you out of here. You don't, you never, never will speak in my congregation again. And, and Barnabas, Barnabas is the nice guy. He's always the peacemaker. He's always the encourager. And Barnabas was like, uh-uh, never again. Is that going to happen? But what happened is once you're taught, then people are like, why? Well, yeah, I think that's right. And so there was a dispute and they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Verse 4. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church, and there uh, rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. You see? There are Pharisees that believe. These are the ones, these are the ones that knew it all. These are the ones who were clean in their own eyes. And they turned to the Lord, but they said, oh, it was needful to circumcise them. You needed to actually circumcise these as Jews. They were to be proselyte Jews and that command them to keep the law of Moses. That they have to agree that they're going to keep the entire law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. By the way, this is called the Council of Jerusalem at this time in 15. And when there was much more disputing, Peter rose up. Now, it's interesting. Paul is, going to, is telling the Galatians about an event that happened in Antioch with Peter. This is in Jerusalem, and Peter stands up, 
as he says, and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that for a good while God made choice among us. We were the chosen of God. That we were his favored, not his favorite, but his favored. He put all of his, his eggs in our basket. That the Gentiles by my, sorry, uh, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Do you recall when that happened? He was praying and a sheet comes down with every imaginable kind of animal that Jews were not allowed to eat. And the voice from heaven said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter was like, oh, no, I've never eaten anything like that. No, 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 no. I do what you told us to. And God said, don't call anything common that I've said is, is clean. And what he was saying is I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And immediately while the trance, he was in the trance, someone came and said, there is a centurion that wants you to visit his house. He's been praying. And an angel came and said, you must come and, and share the gospel with him. And Peter was like, okay. So he goes and he preaches the gospel to this man and to his family and they believe. And it's obvious, it's every bit obvious to Peter that these people are just as saved as he is. And he said, what's to keep them from being baptized? And he doesn't require them to keep the law. He doesn't say, you must be baptized, but first we need to circumcise all the males. And now you need to do this and you need to agree to keep the law. No, he just said, here's some water. What's to keep, what's to prevent us from baptizing this family? It's obvious to all of us that God is among us and that God has saved these people, all right? This is verse 8. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear witness, bear the witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did to us. Uh, pay attention to verse 9. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So he's saying that he purified our hearts by faith, he purified their hearts by faith. There is no difference between a Gentile believer and a Jewish believer. This was monumental at the moment. This was earth-shaking. Verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Now, notice what he's saying, how powerful it is. We are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by doing a bunch of things. We're not saved by obeying because our obedience is so, is so wobbly. If I'm a, if I, even if I do a million things that are obedient, I've done a billion zillion that we're not. Okay? And we are not Muslims where Allah will balance our good and bad. It doesn't work that way. God would, would damn all of us. If we had to go on our record, we would all be lost. We are going on Jesus Christ's record, and that's the gospel. And he's saying it's grace that gave Jesus' record to us, and that's how we're saved. And the same is true with these people. Why tempt God? And why put on the necks of these people things that we were not able to carry and our fathers were not able to carry? That, that, that commandments that you must obey God flawlessly and never, ever break it, that, that is your, and that's how you will live? He said, I've never been able to do this. This is Peter standing up. I'm, I'm a sinner all, every day of my life, and our fathers were sinners. That that's not how we were saved. We were saved by grace. They're saved by grace. Don't tempt God by making them do something else, okay? Now, I want you to remember that that's what Peter said because Paul's going to remind him because Paul was here 
Do you remember? It said at the beginning of this passage, Paul and Barnabas came down to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders, and Peter stands up as one of the apostles and elders and says this. And Paul is in the room. And later, Peter is going to be in the room with Paul acting completely different. Completely, completely different. And so Paul's like, "Um, I'm sorry, I seem to remember. And he tells Peter exactly what Peter had said. I don't know if anyone's ever done that to you. It's the worst kind of shame to be that your own, to condemn yourself with your own words, but that's exactly what he's going to do. So, for as much as we've heard that certain which went out among us. So what's happened, let me just uh, paraphrase this passage. The elders write a letter, and they write a letter to the church, and they said, we're only going to ask one thing of the Gentiles, that they not show themselves to, to be active in idol worship. So they're not to eat things strangled. They're not going to eat blood with their food because that's what everybody else did. I want you to separate yourself to that degree, but you're not going to be Jews. You're simply going to show yourself to be separate to your own culture, and that's all we're going to ask of you, and trust the Lord Jesus. That's it. The, the, if you're going to say all of us, the apostles and elders, Everybody that has known Jesus personally, what are you expected to do? You're expected to trust Jesus for his own righteousness. And that's it. The gospel is as simple as it can be in terms of of only one little tiny thing. Now, it's the hardest thing in the world. Okay? The gospel is, is monumental. It's not simple. It's not simplistic. It's just simple. It's just that's all. You're trusting Jesus and you're not trusting yourself. And that was what they wrote. They wrote back to the church. Well, here's the problem. Many of these people grew up being racist. They grew up that way. That was how they, their grandmas did it. That's how everybody did it. They realized Jews are clean and accepted before God, and Gentiles are filthy and, and, and dirty. And the idea of sitting at the same table is is abhorrent to so many of them. They couldn't tolerate it, and they keep falling back. I'm going to tell you the pit that I've fallen in, and many of you have fallen in, and most of the Christians you've ever known has fallen in, is that you keep wobbling back and forth between when I am a sinner, and it's obvious in my face that I'm a sinner, I want God to accept me on Jesus in Jesus' name. But when I'm doing right, I want God to accept me on basing on what I've done. Tell me that that's not true. Tell me that that's not an every week occurrence in your heart because you'll go back and forth between, God, look what I did. Look what I did. I did good. Look at what I did that was good. You have to be very, very careful because if God is going to look at me based on on my merits, then he has to look at my demerits. He can't look at my record of the parts of the record that I want to show him. He has to look at all of it. So, I have to go only in Jesus' name. Now, what happens in the life of a Christian is that a Christian is so thankful for having a sin saved, my sins are forgiven and my soul is safe, that I want to live according to God's will. I do. I really do. There's something in me that wants, there is a life in me. And there's the heart that wants to sin and there's the heart that wants to please God and they're at full war with each other every day of my life. Okay, and... You, you feed the dog, you feed one dog and starve the other dog, and that's what you do. You're always encouraging the part that is trusting Jesus, and you're always squelching the part that's trusting yourself. 
But it's interesting that the more, the, the, the more sanctification God puts in your life, the, more, the closer you are in, 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 your, um, in your integrity to Jesus, the closer you look, you actually do good things. Christians actually do good things. And if you're not careful, the sinning part of my mind will want God to look at those things. Look at what I did secretly. Look at what nobody saw. Look at what I did when I didn't, I didn't even get mad at him. I didn't even yell at that kid. I always thought that that should count. Like, do you realize how many kids I never hit? Do you know how many kids I never yelled at? I should get credit for that. You know, no one ever even knew it. The idea that I want God to look at my good things. That's what is happening here. And this is what Paul is talking to the Galatians. Be so careful. God's accepting you in Jesus. Always. Every second of your life and every second for the rest of eternity. It's in Jesus that you're accepted and you're fully accepted. It's no probation. It's not partially accepted. It's not that God is miffed at you. All is forgiven and all is love because of Jesus' record. But I want God to look at me. I want God to pat me and say, good boy, good boy. Do you see? It's, it's something that's true of us. And it happened in Peter and it happened in James. And we're going to see that today. So let's go to Galatians 2. And this is the background of the 19 when we read, I'm crucified with Christ. Here's what... This is what Paul is telling the Galatians happened one day in Antioch. So here they're back in Antioch after this. Later on, they're back in Antioch. When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain, uh, certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that which of the circumcision. Does everyone understand what's going on? Peter has come and visited the church many times. And as they worship, they are all together and they're all eating and they're all sitting beside each other and they're all one people. And Peter loved it and saw it as beautiful and saw it as what God would say and saw it as what will happen in the eternal kingdom. Jesus said, many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Because he said, he said, that's what God will plan, that they'll all sit side by side and be one people. My people will be from everywhere. But, but for before certain people came from James, he ate with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which of the circumcision. So Peter was with them together when it was just them. And here comes some people from James. This is back in Jerusalem. And these were the people of the circumcision who thought that the Jews had, were clean and the Gentiles were not. And they were just a little too disgusted with that. It was just a little too ecumenical for them. They thought, okay, this is just a little too liberal. I can't handle it. And what happened is that Peter was in the room watching the people from James in the room, watching their faces, and took, their cue, took his cue from them. You see, James is it. James did not send them so that he could destroy the gospel. James was Jesus Christ's brother who during Christ's life was not saved, but after got saved and became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was the and, and this this church was beleaguered and beaten up and, and always about to be exterminated. 
and there were and it was all mostly Jews there and they had problems. They were a church. They had problems. And when they sent, Peter noted it and immediately went and sat beside himself. And in 15 minutes, there were two tables. Saddest day, saddest day in that congregation. There were two tables. You had one table where all the Gentiles were sitting and another table where all of the Jews were sitting. And they were supposedly having church. And I bet you that that has been... That has been in congregation after congregation for thousands of years. That in that same, we love each other. Oh, we're a loving church. And there's two tables sitting there, obvious tables sitting there, sad. And Peter, this is Peter. Peter who stands at the gate in every joke I've ever heard about heaven. This is Peter who walked on water. This is Peter who who would go to to death with Jesus, he said. This is Peter who was watching faces and fell into that hole, the same hole that I've fallen into. Oh God, you accept me in Jesus except for when you accept me for what I do. And he withdrew himself. Now, this is, Paul got up and was like, uh-uh, that ain't happening. And I don't care if it's Peter. I don't care. Peter was in the three, not just in the 12. And Paul was never in the 12. You can imagine how much guts it took Paul, but Paul was okay with it. He went right up to Peter and to his face uh, reprimanded him. This is 13. The other Jews dissembled likewise, insomuch that even Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation. Sad. Barnabas is as good as it gets, the kind as you get, the one who wouldn't make that mistake, and even he fell into it, and suddenly Barnabas was sitting with the Jews, and the Gentiles were over there at the other table. Have you ever sat at the cool table? Every time I go to to kids, I'll sit down with the kids, I'll go, is this the cool table? And they'll go, yeah, and I'll sit down and go, no, it's not, because I'm here. So as soon as I'm here, it's not the cool table anymore, and all the cool kids would get up and go to another table. Now, that happened truly in high school. It doesn't happen now because they know better, but I remember sitting with somebody, and suddenly the, the, whoever was cool went and made their own table again. And suddenly I was sitting again. All right. That's us. That's the way humans work. Even Barnabas got caught up with it, said Verse 14, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before the all, if you being a Jew lives in the manner of Gentiles but not as Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We heard Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Do you see? Paul rubbed it in his face. We're not Gentile sinners like everybody thinks. We're the Jews, and we know that we live by faith. We know that we live by grace. We know that we're saved not by what we do. And you're saying that somehow these people must, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even as we have believed in Jesus Christ, that they might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul saw this as central. This is central to the gospel. Central to the gospel. See, Christ had conquered the idols of these people, and they, they were no longer idolaters. Christ was king of these people, and they were just as saved as the others. There was one table, and to make two is to insult God. And that's what that Paul said. This is, the, this, is not an, this is not a side issue. 
This is not a do you drink or do you smoke or, you know, this is not do you dance. I don't know how many, I've never known a Baptist really against it. Every Baptist is supposed to be against it. I've never known, I'm a bad dancer. One of the kids, this was two weeks ago, walked up and said, Mr. B, do you dance? That's what he said. He knew, he, he knew what, where, I, where I was on Sundays. He said, do you dance? And I said, I'm a really terrible dancer. He goes, I just heard that you don't dance. That's what he said. I was like, well, maybe they saw me dance. That's why maybe I don't dance, but that's what he said. So here's what Paul saying. The, the gospel answers two questions. The two questions are, how can an unclean man be right with a, with a clean God? Is it because of Christ? Is it because of me? There really is two choices. Is it because of what I do? And God looks at me and goes, good boy, you get a cookie. Okay, good boy, I'm going to save your soul. Look at what you did. You did right. Or is it because I didn't do right, but I'm trusting Jesus who did right? And if you are with me, saints in this room who've been saints a long time, you'll see yourself as dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. Even though your name is very clean, very, very clean. Your, your reputation is beautiful. Nobody thinks of you as a dirty person, but you know what you think. You know what you say inside your head. You know what you do. You know, you know what you dream about. You know what, how you, what you would want to say and don't. You know that you're a sinner, and that, I promise, God even allows that to comfort you. A Christian is comforted when you see your sins. You're grieved and comforted. You're grieved because how could I do something against a God who loves me so much? And at the same time of hallelujah, I've got a Savior who never sinned. Never, never sinned. I have a Savior. And his life is mine. Look at this verse. Look at 19. I've got to call your attention to 19. 19 will blow your brains. 19 says, nevertheless I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I do not live it by the faith in the Son of God because that's my faith and I would be rewarded for it. Do you see why you're rewarded? You live by faith of the Son of God. It's Jesus' faithfulness to God that allows me to be accepted before God. That's what Paul said is the most important thing. I have been crucified with Christ. Now what on earth does that mean? To be crucified with Christ, to take up your cross and follow Christ to death, is the idea that you're identified with him. When he died, you died. When he raised, you raised to new life. You don't think of baptism as a going into the river and coming back onto the same, you don't go back to your family. You really have to think of baptism as going through the river to the other side of the river. Because I have a life and this is how I used to live. Now baptism is a picture of what happened to me when Jesus saved my soul. He cleaned me. And I go into that water and I die there. I go into the water like a grave. It's a picture of resurrection. You go into the water and that's why Baptists will fight on this hill. They will fight on this hill. Do not baptize me with a squirt gun. I go into that grave and when I come out, I'm not the same. I am different, and I'm not raised to simply live in the same pig pen that I was from. I go out onto the other side, and I live to, unto new life. And that's why we fall into this hole. We fall into this hole because God cleans our life. 
He cleans us, and we are cleaner, and we're cleaner. And in our sin, because we're still fallen, we want credit for that. And Peter is not a bad guy. Peter is in heaven. But Peter fell into this. James is not a bad guy. He fell into this. I have fallen into this. I have wanted God to say, look, whenever I did something right, look at me, look at me. Okay, look what I did. Anybody that's ever taught nursery school or kindergarten, that's all they do. They want credit. They want credit. They don't want credit when they're the one who hit somebody. They don't want credit when they're the tattletale. They want credit when they did good. Did you see me be good? That's what we're all like that. And we fall into this hole. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, I think this... I'm doing this very poor disservice. But justification of faith, this idea that my justification, my right with God is based upon my faith, is interesting because he says something at the beginning. Look at 19 again. That's why I picked two verses. I read 45 verses to you, but I only picked two that I'm supposed to be preaching on. This says, through the law, I died to the law. This is from in 19. For, for I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live to God. When I read stuff like that, I go, oh, I don't understand. How can I, how can through the law I be dead to the law? You have to realize that Paul is making an argument that doesn't finish in chapter 2. It finishes in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he said, Jesus Christ became a curse for us. Because cursed is anyone that's hanged upon a tree. And when Jesus was cursed by God, his curse became my freedom. It, that law was the Messiah's living out the law was the law. The law was that God said that Jesus could become a curse for me. That's what God said. And because Jesus can become a curse for me, then through the law, through his becoming a curse, I died to the law. I'm no longer, I'm, no, I'm out from under that. I don't live in terms of I must be perfectly, I must be perfect, I must be perfect. I live in Jesus' life. He lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh while I'm still alive, I live through his faithfulness. And it makes me happy. It buoys you up. It pulls you out like a cork on the water. Because you're now free. You're accepted in the beloved. And Paul said, oh, I'll belly bop Peter any day, Monday through Saturday and Sundays. If that's what he's going to do... Because you, can't, you cannot let people think that it's based upon them because then as soon as they mess up, they'll give up. Now, if, you, if you've lived in this world long enough, you know half a dozen people who realize that their misunderstanding of the gospel was that they must be beautifully perfect and they're not. And while they're young, they can be a hypocrite because young people can easily be a hypocrite. But as they get older, they, can't, they know they can't play that game. And they're like, I'm not good. And they will essentially walk away from God because they believe they can't do it. Or they believe How many people in this, in this town think, oh, yeah, I'll send my kids to Bible school. Or I'll send them to Camp Cowan or whatever because it's for kids. That's a for kids. But I know better because I know what life will do to you. You have to realize, Paul said, no, no, no. I live in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Can I have a hallelujah? Can I have an amen? Yes, we can do ha- amens. I love the gospel.